Stephen King, originator of Pet Cemetery. <gasps> Arthur Conan Doyle, author of Sherlock Holmes. Michael McDowell, creator of Beetlejuice. <laughs> George Romero, director of Night of the Living Dead. Now, these four masters of everlasting horror bring to the screen four tales of overwhelming terror. <laughs> I warned them, but they wouldn't listen. Tales of diabolical fate. You promised you'd never die! Tales of ghastly revenge. Grow, O oh light. Rise, O oh light. Come forth, O oh light. Open his eyes. Tales of ruthless evil. That cat has killed three people in this household. I don't believe this. Kill it, bury it, and bring me its tail. Tales from the dark side. Well, that just about takes care of that, doesn't it? Come live the nightmare of your choice. Tales from the Dark Side. The movie. All right, everybody, welcome. This is a very special live. It's not live, really. It's not I guess live, really, I, but you it's... really can't do a live podcast. I guess. Uh, is, but, but we're in person. We're in person. This is a special sort of live episode of the Film and Water Podcast. We are here in Charlotte, North Carolina, for Heroes Con 2017. And, yeah, and uh, joining me here is. Derek William Crabb. Derek, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yes, this, we were we were talking about wanting to do something. We, said we, were, we knew we were both were going to be here for the show. Let's talk about the show a little before we even get started on the movie. Are you having fun so far? Yes, yes, I'm absolutely having fun. This is great to meet everybody for the first time and see people face-to-face. This is really cool. Everybody is very friendly, and they all have exceeded my expectations. It's, <laughs> it's, been, it's been really awesome. So I, I had a good time, or I'm having a good time. There's yeah, still we're still in the middle of it, yeah. still more days to go, so. Yeah, this is cool. And it is nice being able to see everybody and hang out. We had a big group get together last night. Uh, I drank a little too much. and uh, but it's, That's okay. It happens sometimes. So, uh, yeah, we're here to talk about Tales from the Dark Side the movie, which is always very, very awkward to stick yeah. the movie at the end of, especially when your movie is already called Tales from the Dark. It's a very long title. <laughs> but, of course, if it's a horror anthology... Well, yeah, you're I, here. Yeah, I guess I'm here. Well, they had to call it the movie because right, the, the TV show, show right? right? So they, you know, it's like the the old adage of the dads, like, why, why do I got to pay for this when I can see it for free at home on TV? Right. <laughs> right. So they got it. They got to put the movie on. The movie. So the dads are like, oh, I get it. It's, like, a, we gotta, it's a different we, thing, we, right? We gotta go to the theater to see it. Now, I have zero history with the TV show. I never watched okay. one moment of it, partly because. Um, when it aired, it was like what eighty six to eighty nine. I think yeah, that you show. Know, you know what's funny is I my history with it is is weird because I don't think I watched it when it aired on like I think it was like NBC. It was a, or I thought like, it was syndicated. Yeah, wasn't it syndicated? yeah, because I felt like when I watched it, it was definitely syndicated. Okay. But I, I don't know if it if it aired like on a network before that because yeah, I, I, I feel know. like it did but okay. I just was too young to be interested in it and I think for sure I know I definitely watched the show in syndication okay. and like now I've been it's I'm probably horrible at it but I remember I was revisiting like old episodes and that was probably a while back but I remember texting or, or 
Facebook messaging Shag because Victor Garber was <laughs> in an episode where he like saved women's tears, and I was just like, dude, check this out, like young Professor Stein, you know, like this is awesome, you know, and so. See, that's funny. I was on the opposite end because I was probably a little too old, and I was kind of like, all right. They can't really do real horror on mm. broadcast mm. TV. So I, for some reason I always got the sense that the show was kind of almost like a slightly more adult version of Goosebumps or something, which uh, isn't right, which oh, is not right. Okay. But that was my view of it. I was like, oh, come on, they can't do anything really. And, you know, in 1989, my view of horror was probably like, if it's not gory, I don't want to see it, which is not as true now. I would be more open to different kinds of horror. I, I think the introduction, because I was young when I watched it on syndication, it was late at night. Like, and I don't mind admitting, like, the, the narrator, like, terrified me. Like, at least in terms of, he's like, welcome to a movie. Okay, there, see, that's funny, there's you no know, narrator in this movie. And all that kind of stuff, and that's how usually most of the episodes, you know, okay. you know, right. uh, open, you know, and I was just kind of like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, and of course, maybe, maybe the interiors, give or take, you know, maybe some of them really did kind of catch you, and maybe some of them right. were like, oh, this is, you know, some of them are more Twilight Zone than... And goosebumps and vice versa. But. So was the show one story uh, per episode? Yeah. Usually. Okay. You, well, yeah, I think so. Like okay. there, there might have been. You know how like the the eighties Twilight Zone sometimes did two to three, did, like, yeah, a few. So I there, I could be wrong. There might okay. have been some stuff like that. But, but it was generally like a Twilight Zone one was, news story, it was kind okay. of like a one off right. kind okay. of thing. Got it. So the yeah, movie is nineteen ninety. So it follows up. I guess the show was successful enough to make yeah, a movie. Yeah. And I had never seen this movie before. I've okay. never seen okay. it. I didn't. I, this is the freshest I'm ever gonna. I'm, I, that's me. I'm, I'm pushing. Yeah. I'm like I'm like I want to do this. Right, right. That's fine. And this, and this will. I literally just watched it this morning. So like I said, I, I went into it kind of like I don't know how much I'm going to like this because I'm I'm kind of down on the show now. Now that I've watched it. I don't think this is a great movie, mm. but it's way better than I thought it was. Okay, okay. way no, no, better than I thought it was. That's fair. I mean, so, I mean, I don't think I don't think this is the most exceptional movie. Right. I think I think I'm probably coming at it with the the nostalgic right. goggles glued on my face, you know, because the stuff I remember was it, it's it's all area specific. But I mean, I remember being in the Bay Area and in the Fremont Hub, there was this movie theater, and I think we all used to call it the Hub or whatever. Now it's like. I think it's like a Petco now or something. It's not even a movie theater anymore. But, I mean, I have distinct memories of going to see the movie in that theater, you know, with friends and stuff like that. And and I think, you know, and I don't know what I would call this exactly, but this kind of, um, uh, you know, bro fascination with Christian Slater that I have. Like, it was, <laughs> okay. It was, it was at the height of that. Because, he, I'm surprised because, he's in this movie because yeah. this is like the height of his career yeah, is yeah. this. And it, yeah, and it was, it was one of those things where that... that trailer like the, the like i don't know if you watched the trailer but no like i didn't the, see the in, in the trailer the money shot of the trailer is and i'm sure we'll get to it is the scene where he holds up the little cutter it's like uh, right it's christian slater patented smile yeah. and kind of going you know and i was like I, I i for me it was just like one of those things like i love this stuff i love i love like because what, what's great is christian slater was in a lot of the episodes of the um the original tales from the Dark oh Street. really he was like a little oh. kid like there's an episode with um with Brent Spiner, I think, where he's like, wow. he's like some kind of, I don't know, Mormon or Episcopalian or something. So he's some kind of preacher dude or whatever. And then I know that um, Slater was like, you know, it's like, oh, look, it's, it, when I was rewatching it on DVD, I'm like, look, it's baby Slater. <laughs> I was all excited, so. Interesting. All right. Okay. So, so this movie opens with, uh, it's got a framing sequence. 
uh, and it's Debbie, Debbie Harry, of all people, Debbie Harry, and she seems like this paragon of the neighborhood. Everyone knows her. Everybody waves. She's driving through the neighborhood. Yeah, and we're yeah. like, oh, hello. And it's, it's very Norman Rockwell and, you know, bucolic. And, you know, you know you're being set up for something horrible because you know what movie you're watching. But the opening <laughs> right. scene, it's like it's something from, like, a Frank Oz or Nancy well, Myers movie. You I, know, I it's, felt like it played with your expectations because I, I feel like watching a lot of those shows in syndication, like, you... When someone nice comes into a room and then you see there's this cell, you're expecting like some horrible beast right, to yeah. be kept inside the cell, and then it turns out it's like, dude, it's little Matthew Lawrence. Uh, that know, I bet Joey Lawrence's little brother. That was know? my first turn to this movie where I was like, Alright, I like this. Cause it was like, that's dark mm. that she's kidnapped a paper boy and she's just keeping him in a dungeon. And you're yeah, like, yeah. that is that's dark. Because that, I I mean I don't even know if you would do that now. I think because like the whole idea yeah. of like you know kids being yeah, yeah, stolen, yeah, 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 we're yeah. people re- not that they should be, but it's like no, we're no, way hypersensitive yeah. about that now. I think in 1990 that was like you know I, I, that that just seems like a dark turn that she's yeah that it's not some right, ghoulish right. monster. It's a little kid and right, she's going right. to eat him. Right, right. She's right. she's literally well, stuffing him yeah, uh, so she can eat him, put him in an oven, and eat him. He's good in this too because he, he's like, what? What's eviscerate? Like, yeah. what does that mean? You know, like, but he knows it's no good. Yeah. You know, like. um, well, I have to draw the slit across your stomach, and I'm gonna, you know, and it's also just weird that it's Debbie Harry. Yeah. It's like, what a weird. I mean, she she had had some film career. Obviously, she was in Videodrome and and some other things. But like, that's an odd choice to have yeah. Debbie Harry as your sort of mate. And that to me, that gives it again a little just odd. Edge to it. I'm like that. Maybe, it's just somebody that you wouldn't expect to be in a movie. I wonder if that's right. intentional. You know, like yeah. that, that you're supposed to. You, even though they're painting the Norman Rockwell picture, like you said, maybe they're trying to still create a, a slight twinge atmosphere. Yeah, like of, of something's off. off. Like yeah. something's not quite right here. Yeah, they didn't hire. It's not like they hired. You know, like the mom from Happy Days. Mm. You know, it's like it's Debbie Harry. So anyway, she gives him this book, the Tales from the Dark Side book, and he is going to read her story so he can just delay his eventual uh, being consumed by, yes. by Debbie Harry. And so the first story is uh, Lot 249, yes. right? And it's an Arthur Conan Doyle yeah. story, which I, I feel is like surprising. It's, well, because it seems like, at least from what my understanding is, it's like that's almost the thing that kicked off the whole mummy craze in the first place. Really? Oh, I, I think, didn't know that. I, I think the story, I'm, I might be off, but I think it was written in the, the early 18. So I don't, All right, I don't like, so. like I think that's right. So, so like I think that's where a lot of people's ideas of mummies and you know the, the, some some of that stuff. Like I, I I feel like this movie might have coincided with stuff I was learning in history at the same time because you you had the notions of I I don't remember being shocked about the way they talked about how mummies were handled mm-hmm. and the fact that they were you know basically the whole thing with they, the they shoving pulling the, brain the brain out the nose, out the nose and, and, yeah. and all that stuff. Like I I feel like I was I was taught about that in some. You know, some history class, right. some right. some some kind of school class or whatever. So I remember going to it, kind of thinking, "Oh yeah, this is you know, a, a, for for a anthology horror movie, I'm all this is surprisingly accurate." Yes. You know, like right. that kind of thing. And the whole gist of it is that uh, Steve Buscemi, Steve Buscemi, yes. young yes. Steve Buscemi, yes. talk about baby. Slater, yes, yes, baby, baby, Buscemi baby Buscemi, is in this movie as a guy, and he's like this nebbish bookworm, and he has a, he's getting like his, like a grant or something? Yeah, it's like, he's, it's like he's competing with, against with, um, these two, this couple. Yeah. Uh, play one of them, Julianne Moore, in her first movie, that yeah. was another, I was like, what, Julianne Moore's in this yeah. movie? And she and her boyfriend basically snaked 
the yeah, the, like they, they the grant away from him, and they they plant something again. Like they 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 do a dirty trick, it's right? Like, it's like she steals an artifact that maybe only a few people would have a knowledge of how valuable it is. Okay, and so based on that, they 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 choose them over him because they the I guess the faculty thinks like, oh well, clearly you know, baby Buscemi yeah, is the only one right. who has the knowledge right. to to have ripped this to off know to and do know, it, right. know what it's worth. So so we're gonna pass on him and, and give it to uh Julianne Moore's boyfriend who's this kind of total like frat jock yeah. idiot guy. Which yeah. you'd go like, well what does he know about? But it doesn't matter because he's I guess part of the upper echelon. Yeah, he's got like a pullover and a tennis yeah. racket. Like right, he's right, yeah, right. he's the total you know country club yes, kind of guy. Yes. So yeah, he um he decides to get revenge by he gets a mummy, by gets this mummy, and he's got like the and scan he's, scroll, and he's got the scan scroll, and he basically reads this incantation, which makes the mummy come alive, and the mummy then exacts his revenge by he first kills the boyfriend, yes, uh, and then he then he sent out to kill Julianne Moore in a pretty gruesome yeah, sequence. Well, well, both of them for me, like I was kind of like even though I was familiar with. The description from school, like, oh, somebody's nose got, you know, uh, basically, you know, they put a shaft up there and, and scraped out the brains and everything. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe your imagination at school, but seeing that on camera, basically, like, the, the mummy takes a a clothes hanger and basically shoves it up the guy's nose and the guy the whole time is going, like, no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. And you're like, wow, that's, you know, and then and then the, the Julianne Moore thing where he's, like, shoving the, the, flowers, the flowers into her her cut that he yeah he cuts her open and shoves the flowers in right because they talk about it earlier the Buscemi says that's what they did with the mummy with rotted yeah everything smells like rotted flowers because that's what they stuck in there yeah Yeah. I was like that was a pretty gruesome you know wow so then Christian Slater who is Julianne Moore's brother yes gets wind of this and he knows that it's Buscemi who did it's, it. It's it's interesting because the way they try to frame him is like he's sort of friends with Buscemi, like he knows him right. and he knows his sister's kinda up to no good, but it is still his sister. So he's kinda got this like conflict of interest, but you know, I guess inevitably, like when push comes to shove, when he kinda puts two and two together and figures out Buscemi's basically had the mummy kill his, his best friend and, right. his, and his sister, then then he decides to sort of go full on, you know, crazy and enact his his own revenge. Yeah, he gets really into it too, because then he he trusts up Buscemi, and then the, the mummy, he, you know, Buscemi tries to get the mummy to stop him, and Buscemi is, uh, he's going to, what's his name, Slater's going to set Buscemi on fire. Yeah, yeah, because that's why, that's why he's basically asking him, like, where's the sand scroll, you know, where's everything, I'm going to burn all this right. stuff. If you don't tell me, I'm going to light you on fire. And like, eventually he pulls out the Sanskrit and burns it and everything. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because the only thing I think he makes a mistake of is at the end he sort of he sort of lets Buscemi go. Right. You know, and I was like, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. But. Well, he gets, I mean, like when he's killing the mummy, like there's, again, it's it, there's no blood in it because it's a mummy. But it's a pretty gruesome where... The mummy tries to lunge at Christian Slater, and Slater just saws off the head with that thing, with well, this, well, that well, scene you're me, talking yeah, about, that, with that, that little... That was the, for me, that was the money shot of the trailer, so <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was waiting for it the whole time, you know, because I knew it was coming at some point, and, and it was kind of, like, fascinating, because I'm like, oh, Christian Slater seems like a pretty nice guy, like, how did he get to the, you know, yeah. part of the movie, and I'm, like, waiting for it and waiting for it, and then, like, when he finally, like, sort of unloads on him, it's like... It's kind of like my favorite scene in True Romance where it's like, you know, he talks to Gary Oldman. And it's like one of those things where you think, okay, well, Christian Slater's a pretty cool guy and he's kind of getting browbeat by Gary Oldman and everything. And eventually, you know, when he shoots him in the face, he's like, oh, you think I'm mad? You know? <laughs> and, and it was just like one of those things where that, that he's good at sort of 
for me, I, I enjoy watching him kind of play that arc and kind of twisting it and going 180 and then sort of just unleashing himself on, you know, somebody who's basically nefarious in, in a movie or whatever. So right. I, I enjoyed that. So then the, the twist of it is that, we're sorry, we're spoiling it, but the twist of it is that Buscemi switched the scrolls right. and he was not, because the incantation, he says something about it, like, you know, you're gonna, he, Slater basically can't bring himself to kill Buscemi. Right. He just can't quite do it. Yeah. And Buscemi says, he promises, well, I'll keep him... What is it? What's the promise that he makes? He says, well, because because I think he he says he's going to leave town, right, and, right, right, and, and you won't ever hear from me again. Like you know, thank you for sparing my life. But then the, I guess the twist is he's like he's laughing. He didn't in burn the, the yeah, incantation. He, he's laughing in the taxi cab away, and, he, and the guy's like, "What's so funny, man?" And he's like, uh, "I'm laughing because this guy doesn't know the difference between you know a Sanskrit scroll from you know whatever century and like you know something I just made up last week right. or whatever." And he's just you know basically he made a forgery for him to burn. Right. So basically, the mummy is still active. Yeah, the mummy's still active, and, and, and it sort of comes for him at the end, and then you see that sort of close-up of his face where Christmas Slater's got the whole oh shit look on yep. his face and that's that's basically like that was a very good story uh, Matthew Lawrence You're right yeah you know? <laughs> right and we get to see the reanimated corpse of Julian Moore too right, when they show right, up at the right, end right, right. something like that so yeah, yeah that's a little that's a little reminiscent of uh, uh, Ted Danson you know yeah from the, the show, yeah, creep show yeah the uh, the this will kill you. Forget. Yeah, this will kill you. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's not. It's not a bad story. I don't think. I didn't think it, it's my least favorite of the three, as we'll get to it. But it's. It's not bad. See, see what's weird is I think. I think my nostalgia goggles for that okay. are strong. So I. I think for me, like that's my. That's my favorite, which is funny because I know. I know a lot of people have fondness for some of the other two, but I know. I know that one's my favorite. I think just on the strength of what I was trying to. Explained before, just right. the whole Christian Slater thing, the arc, and, 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 and also maybe getting a kick out of seeing like Julian Moore. It's, and it's Steve a, Buscemi. You look at it now, and you're like, this is an all star little yeah. segment. It's yeah. three big movie stars. Yeah. The only, well, I, the only I, I one think, you don't know is the, the, the guy, the, the sort of country club guy. I, I think that's the big fascination in me revisiting even the old Tales from the Dark Side mm-hmm. series, because that, that's what I was saying. Like, as I was going through it, I'm like, oh, Victor Garber, oh, you know. Um, you know, little baby Christian Slater, and, and like, oh, look, it's, uh, you know, um, why can't I think of his name now? Brent Spiner. You right, know, right. Like, I'm, I'm just like, look at all these guys, you know, there's all these great actors. They get them you know, on their upswing. They, they, and, you yeah. know, and they're doing these these roles and everything, and it's, it's, it's really awesome to see everybody in, you know, for me, in that segment, and, and I enjoyed the whole the whole, you know, mummy aspect mm-hmm. of it. Like, I thought it was really fun. And the way all the effects and the way they made the mummy and the, the rotting, the, the bugs and, and all that kind of stuff. I it's a good it was, mummy prop. Yeah, like, it's, that's a good, really it's well good done. I actually like this mummy more than, like, any of the mummies in the Brendan Fraser movies. I, you know? Don't like, remember. I mean, like, weren't they all CGI? Yeah. Scenes? I, I yeah, like, I like this, like, I like this mummy being, first yeah, of all, it's a physical yeah, prop. Yeah, it's a, thing, it's a practical right? prop. But he's dusty and, you he's know, old. yeah, I like, that's kind of what you want a mummy to be yeah. so yeah no, it was, it was, it's not a bit segment so then then we go back to Debbie Harry and she's being put off yet again and he's like oh no no I have a better story I have an yeah. even better better he, story he does it, like I love that the framing sequence has a distinct and real sense of urgency to mm-hmm. it because you can tell like She's got the oven going. I mean, she's sharpening the knives. Right, right. She's and getting, he's, yeah. he's definitely worried. And I'm, I know you brought up the idea that you know maybe it's touchy because it's a paper boy and a kid. But I kind of think this was supposed to be the whole Hansel and Gretel yeah. thing. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, like that. That I think that's what they were going for. I yeah. don't think they were trying to elicit, um, you know, 
uh, unfortunate circumstances in real life. Right. I think you were just supposed to think, oh, fairy tale, Hansel and Gretel, right. like, you know, that, and then now we're going to use this as a framing sequence right. and tell these stories. And yes, there is a distinct sense of urgency, especially for Matthew Lawrence, like the way he's kind of like, no, 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 I got another one. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he doesn't want to get eaten for Pete's sake. Yeah. So. So the second story is the is Cat from Hell, and this has got William Hickey uh, from Pritzi's Honor, who lo- always looked like he was a thousand years old yes. when he was younger. He just has that he looks like a mummy, basically. He's, He's just, one of those like great character yeah. actors that you 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 know his face, you probably don't know his name, but you've seen him in it's, tons yeah. and tons and tons yeah. of film and television. Uh, he plays this wheelchair-bound guy, and he's like a multimillionaire. He lives in this giant, creepy mansion, and he hires David Johansson, of all things, <laughs> Buster Poindexter himself from Scrooge, yeah. uh, to be – he's a hitman, and he hires David Johansson to uh, assassinate, basically, this cat that lives in their home and he can't get rid of. And then there's this whole backstory about how the cat came to live with them. When uh, it was, there was four of them. There was the, it was him and his two sisters. Well, it's like the sister and the sister's friend. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah. Okay, I, I yeah. missed that part. Sorry, okay. I was, I was air quoting for you. Yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. But the, it was the sister and, and her friend, and then they, I guess, they lived together with the, the, the butler. Okay, right. right. And, so and the, was, the cat, the cat shows up, and they can't get the cat to leave. And the whole idea is the cat is slowly killing everybody in the house. And you're like, why? It's because William Hickey was a pharma- made his money in pharmaceuticals. And it came from, uh, they, tested it on, they tested it on cats. And so he believes he has killed probably 5,000 cats in his lifetime. And he figures this cat is here to get revenge. And we see, via flashbacks, how the cat led to the inadvertent death, or maybe not so inadvertent death, of the other three members of the family. Right. Gets in the leg between the legs of one of them, which causes them to fall down the steps, and then the other, the other, the, the his sister gets killed. And his sister is that actress. I'm blanking on her name, but it, that's the actress from the opening scene of Ghostbusters. She's the librarian. Is it? She's the uh, Dolores the, Sutton. Yes, I think it's Dolores Sutton. My uncle thought he was Saint Jerome. It's that. It's that lady. So, you know, David Johansson is like. What are you talking about? You're yeah. gonna kill a cat. And he, there's one point where the cat is like sitting on his lap, and he's like, "I could just yeah, choke I could it. Just I could break its, its neck, neck right here." Right and he tries to, and the cat like puts right, this big right. scratch on him and disappears. So then it becomes this whole no pun intended cat and mouse thing between David Johansson and the cat as he's trying to kill it. And my favorite part of this sequence is I love how it was directed with the flashbacks mm, because mm. all the flashbacks are set in these kind of blue tones, yeah. and there are moments where. The William Hickey character, who will literally move out of the flashback into the main, yeah. in one unbroken yeah. shot, yeah, which yeah. I thought was a really nice well, like touch. That, that one shot with with both like William Hickey and David Johansson, like where they the, they're the, like face the, to face, yeah. the face come in and the screen's like all kind of moody. And yeah, kind of I thought like, it was like those those were really really cool. Yeah, I mean yeah. this is all directed by the same guy, yeah. John Harrison, I think yeah. is his name. And but this one I thought I really love those. T- there is a scene where he literally like wheels, wheels himself the, out of the yeah, flashback into, into the, the modern day, and I'm like, yeah. what a great little touch yeah, and it's it again really an in-camera effect mm-hmm. you know you don't yeah. need a cgi it's like you yeah, yeah, yeah. just move it's, off it's the set onto they, the next set so so david johansson has goes on with this cat and it, it you know they go back and forth and there's a couple scenes where it's like you're in cat cam where it's in black and white <laughs> yeah, and the, yeah, key, yeah cat predator yeah vision the cat right. predator vision right, yeah right, where right. the cat is you literally see what the cat is seeing where he's yes, climbing up on yes, David Johansson and yes, he's yes. attacking him. Where he's like scratching his nuts. Yeah. <laughs> like all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's funny, again, I always assumed that this movie based 
based as it was off a TV show, was like PG. But if this is an R-rated movie because yeah. David Johansson yeah. is dropping F-bombs left yeah. and right yeah. at one point. Yeah. He's like, you yeah. effing cat, yeah. you effing yeah. 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 He's like, you know who you're effing with, cat? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm the biggest assassin, you know, yeah. this side or whatever, you know. And, many, and he's, uh, William Hickey wants to pay him like 100 grand. So he's like, all right, yeah. I'll do it. You want me to I'll kill a cat like, for 100 grand? Crazy old man yeah, it's fine. It's fine. a cat, sure. So then it, it ends with the cat uh, getting the ultimate revenge, which is an incredibly... Icky effect, yeah. Where yeah, the cat literally I, it, crawls it, it, down it sort of, his throat. Sort of makes you think about, um, you know, what is it, the uh, animal, you know, uh, association, right? Like, like I, I was like, how would they get that cat yeah, to do yeah, that? Like, yeah. Like, how, how do you get the cat to do that? Like, like what was involved? Like all that kind of stuff. Because he, he basically, it, well, like I mean, squeezes I mean, his way in. In, there. in the story, like the cat's literally like jumps down the guy's throat yep. and everything, and. And like and incubates like, in his chest, and they—I they, guess—part of the the gag of of all the killings, like all the the cat from hell murders or whatever, is that it, they all happened when the clock struck midnight. So the idea was, oh right, right, right. William Hinckley was supposed to—he was supposed to like take off for the night, leave you know, leave the guy there to to take care of the cat, and come back in the morning. But the 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 awesome part is when the the gunfire is going off and it basically breaks the uh the grandfather clock it's like then it it basically starts up again right. towards the end when when he finally wheels in and everything and then and then it strikes 12 you know what at eight in the morning or something. right right but, but it, it sort of holds true to the superstition of what what had been going down with the last last three kills yeah and so it's, it's this is the, i mean this as we said, this was literally supposed to be in Creepshow 2, mm. which they apparently they cut for the raft instead, which okay. I don't I like I don't know why they couldn't have just done four stories, but whatever. Right. Um, the raft is my favorite part of Creepshow yeah, 2, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm glad that that yeah. got in there. But that that whole effect of watching the cat like shimmy its way down is that's, pretty that's pretty, pretty tough to watch. You know what's funny is I think that one's better like I I I do I mean, you know, we're talking about you know, cats scratching the guy's nuts and, and all this funny stuff. Like, because it's like it, it, to me, the death of not not the sister, but the sister's friend. Mm. Like, that's also one where you you have to have a sense of humor about it. Right. It's like they they talk about you know the the kind of things of don't leave cats with babies like right. that thing. And right. Right. They'll to, suck the breath to, out. They're yeah. trying to allude to that. And and so you know, literally, the cat is like fused like an alien face hugger to the lady's face, and it's it's pretty hilarious because it's like this. You can tell it's this little sort of you know fake plush cat that's like stuck right. yeah, in yeah, the yeah. woman's face, and she's you know wrestling back and forth with it. And of course, that you sort of have to have a sense of humor about. And I I know I chuckled when I was watching it again. You know, yeah, and you don't hire David Johansson unless you're you're trying to do something a little lighter because he's not yeah. really a dramatic yeah. actor. He's really yeah, where, you know, he's not really an actor at all right, for right. the most part. Um, and there's even a point where he says something about, there's some reference where he's talking about uh, things getting hot. And like when he was Buster Poindexter, he had a big song around that time oh, called Hot, Hot, Hot. hot. And I'm like, that's yeah. got to be a nod, a nod to that, that, you know, whatever. And then so then William Hickey comes back to the house and he sees the corpse of the detective laying there. And that's when the cat decides to pop back out of right, the mouth. Right, and you're right. just like, that, oh, that's, man. That's just the wow that scene is just kind of unreal you yeah. know because you're like you're like one like you're like how did they do that and then two like you see the cat and like part of me is thinking like oh that poor cat like what did it like you know what was it a stump cat like what yeah. is it, like I, how do you train cats to do stuff like that yeah. I, it's like I, I can't even train a cat to listen to me much less yeah i know i yeah, no, no, like you lure it out of a you know? little 
yeah. goopy tunnel with yeah, a yeah, tuna yeah. or something. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, it, it makes me think of that whole you know don't work with animals and kids. Thing, right. You know that adage because I'm like, how did they do that? Yeah. Man? Yeah. So it's not bad. It's it's again. It's it's. I think it's got more to it visually than it does okay. on a story basis. Okay. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? But I, I see what you're saying. Uh, I think it, like I think if it had been directed with less visual flair, it would be pretty dull. Because I mean, mm-hmm. the, the story pretty much happens like you would expect it to happen. Yeah. There's no big shock. I mean, you know the cat's going to end up killing David Johansson. There's no real shock to anything going on. I, I feel like maybe it was a little literal in the sense mm-hmm. because you, you, it's like one of those things where you get the idea, oh, this is based on a Stephen King story. And, and you know, I appreciate the visual the visualization of it, like you're saying, because that's what made it the most interesting. But you see that kind of paint by numbers like oh i can hear the character you know this is chapter one this is me narrating like the deaths and like all the right. flashbacks seem like you were almost literally getting a audiobook in some way mm, yeah you know, yeah like yeah that kind of thing and then so there is that aspect to it where you're like oh okay well that that can be a little disconnecting but i mean i i think this one might be my least favorite mm. but but i still appreciate it because i'm kind of like you know what i can have a sense of humor about the cat, and mm. that, that's the whole point, really, right. I think, is, right. is to sort of have a sense of humor right. about it. Uh, I remember the one little piece, piece of trivia I read that, that Stephen King apparently wrote in an intro in one of his books that when he was researching the story, he literally consulted with doctors, and he's like, could a, could a cat fit down a human's throat? Like, he had to ask doctors, is that humanly possible? And I think doctors were like, no, that's no. not humanly possible, but, you know, okay, yeah. it's fine. Yeah, uh, it's like you, well, it's one of those things where you're like, man, Johansson, he's got a big mouth, doesn't he? You know, like you're like, geez, it's a magic cat. You can yes, fit down the guy's yes. throat. So, uh, so then we go back, we cut back to Debbie Harry and the little kid, and the little kid says, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, I got one more story. This has got a love, it's got a love story right, too." She's been, she's been opining for the yeah, whole time, right? and so she's like, "Okay, fine, one last thing." So then we get into Lover's Vow. Is that mm-hmm. what it was? Lover's yeah, Vow. Lover's Vow. James Remar. From 48 Hours, probably most famous for, and Radon Chong uh, is the other actress. And although the comedian Robert Klein is in it uh, briefly, but he's a James Remar is an artist. Not totally buying that, but okay. <laughs> he's a, he's he's an artist, and he's like a fail. Like he's not selling anything, and he can't. So he witnesses a monster, this horrible gargoyle type creature, which is a pretty good puppet yeah, effect, yeah, I thought. Good. Very good. Um, which again makes me feel like they must have budgeted the film like that with like, okay, the first two, a little less money. Right. Probably the cat one, probably the least expensive versus yeah, the mummy prop. Like, it seems like the cat scene we were talking about is maybe the money shot in that one and probably right. the most money is the, the mummy stuff and the other one. And then this, but, this but, gargoyle. But, yeah. So he sees him. The, he sees uh, the gargoyle kill somebody, and the gargoyle's basically like, I'm going to kill you, except he's like, I'll let you go under this condition. You can never tell what happened to me. You can never tell that I exist. You can't ever tell anyone about what's happened. Yeah, and you that, can't tell anyone what I look like. Yeah, or, like just never. Yeah. And, of course, James Remar agrees to it. So then he goes off, and then he meets Radon Chong, mm-hmm. and he falls in love with her. And he starts selling stuff. He's, yeah, it's his like career starts taking life off. Basically, like turns around, right? Because he, he finds this great, great woman to share his life with, right. and, and then his his art career actually starts taking off. Because right. at the beginning of it, what the the agent is basically like, I can't sell. Anything. Yeah, I can't sell anything. Like, yeah, we got to chuck all this. And he's like, What are you talking about? Like, yeah. I, you know, I poured my heart into this. Like, this isn't selling. Like, what's going on? Yeah. And, and now, all of a sudden, you know, the uh, Ray Dong Chong's character, you know, introduces, I think him to like a new dealer or whatever mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden things start spiraling right. and, and it's a really 
really happy existence. Right. So we go on a couple of years. They have two. They get married. They have two kids together, and then they have this confrontation where uh, he is he's riddled with guilt about that he's never told. He's been keeping this secret from Raina Chung his whole life mm-hmm. that he's seen this thing, and he finally tells her. He tells her, I saw this horrible creature, and, and I, I basically, you know, I've been hiding it, and I feel terrible. And she starts getting mad at him, and, you know, the initial gag is you think, you know, either she thinks he's nuts, or she's mad at him that he's kept this secret. And then, of course, you find out that she is, in fact, the gargoyle. And she's like, you idiot! You And she can't, and she starts transforming in front of us from Ray Don Chong and then, and then the, into the gargoyle. The, the creepy thing for me is the kids start turning into The two into small gargoyles. kids are turning into gargoyles. And the, it, it's it's a great effect. Yeah. I think, like, she, she's slurping and her skin starts parting. And, like, you know, and I lo- like, apparently this is based on Japanese folklore, yeah, which I had read, which is a, yeah, that's, that's a cool said. story. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, as, as I don't know, maybe I maybe I was kind of like caught up in the movie, and or maybe I'm just dumb. But I was like, I actually didn't see that coming. Like I honestly oh, okay. did not see the. I was like, okay, I'm like, how's this gonna play out? Because I know this is gonna go wrong for right, him. But you weren't. But sure. I didn't. You and then sure when when she out. starts going, when she starts getting mad at him, I was like, oh okay. And then when she's like, you know, reveals that she's the gargoyle, I was like, oh, wow, what a great hook. You yeah. know, it's like what a great, you know. And so she has to kill him. Even though she loves him. Right. And he's like, you don't have to. She's like, no, no, I have to. I have to. And so she kills him in this brutal way. And then she grabs the kids. And they, like, nuzzle with her as little baby gargoyles. Yeah. And then she flies up to this building. And they basically ossify into yeah, stone edifices as they're, like, looming down over his dead body. And that's the end of the story. And I was like, I thought that was a terrific yeah. story. I really thought that it, was it's, great. It's a nice twist. I think the lesson to be taken away is... Don't make promises to women that you cannot keep. That's good advice. That's that's the the moral imperative and life life lesson that that you learned from Tales of the Dark Side. The movie, yeah, yeah, that was it. Was it was terrific? I said the the effects are good. The gargoyles are good. Again, practical. It has a real. It looks like a real creature. I mean, it's got it has some you know, and her effect is good. Like there's 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 one point where we see like a midpoint transformation where you can still sort of tell it's her, but she's turning into that thing. It's not like she you know turns away and then she's back and then she's just a full blown gargoyle. Like they actually do it out, which I thought was really well done. Hulk out, yeah, right, exactly, yeah. So I thought that was that was really good. And then even Deborah Harry, when we cut back at the end, she's like, "Oh, that was the best one." she's she's like super happy about it. Um, And so she comes to get him. She comes to get Matthew Lawrence, and he's like, "Oh no, I have one more story." She's like, "No, no, no, no more stories. (laughs) We're done. Whatever. It's time to eat." And he's like, "No, no. Here's the story of the little boy who was kidnapped." And uh, and he's like he had he had these marbles in his pocket and he throws the marbles on the floor. She trips on the marbles, falls back onto those like ne- not needles but like well, shish kebabs like I guess kebabs. shish kebab points. So she's running around with these shish kebab points in her back and she's screaming uncontrollably. He reaches, grabs the key, gets himself free, knocks her over, pushes her into this giant frying pan, <laughs> which is like no frying pan has ever been this big. This is fit a human. It's, it's, it's the, the same thing with James. Uh, Ramar, or no, not James Ramar, Johansson's mouth, right? It's yeah, it's, too, it's no it's human. Too big, too big. Yeah, it's like what the natives would use in those books, bunny cartoons, to like yes. cook him in a giant yes. pot. Put him in there, She slide. they slide her into the oven, and you hear her, ah, like that, and then he grabs up uh, Choco Chunky Cookies or something, <laughs> which is the only shit she's been feeding him this right, whole time. Right, right. And, he's, and he like literally looks at the camera, 
And he says something like, everybody likes a happy ending. Yeah. And he chomps yeah. the cookie. And that's your, that, yeah, that's your that's, movie. That's, like, that's okay. the movie. That's it. Yeah. So, I, I, like I said, I don't, like, I would put this on the level of, like, okay, we've, we've covered it on the show before, Creepshow. Right. It's my right. favorite horror anthology, one of my Absolutely. favorite movies yeah, of all yeah, time. Yeah. I don't think this is in that league. No, no, no. But I'd say this is as good as Creepshow 2. I think Creepshow yeah. 2, like, I think The Raft in Creepshow 2 is better than anything in... In, in the rest in, of that movie and better than anything in Tales from the Dark Side yeah. but I think Tales from the Dark Side is more consistent I think the three mm-hmm. stories are closer together in quality than Creepshow 2 I think that. Creepshow 2 is very like lo- I'm doing my hand gestures sorry yeah, everybody yeah. <laughs> but are, are like to me it's like valley peak valley right. for Creepshow 2 well Dark Side is a little more consistent, even out even right? more consistent yeah. so yeah. I I actually did enjoy this movie cool, cool. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad I, I'm glad I wasn't Pimping something no, that and it makes me enjoy. want to see Tales from the Dark Side now because I'm like, okay, this is what this is. I, I never knew that this yeah. had it had this level. I know it can't have this level of gore and certainly right. like the, the level I'll of it. violence and the language, but that doesn't. I like Twilight Zone. and yeah. It doesn't have any of that I, stuff. I, I so. think I think it's akin to like uh, a Twilight Zone Outer Limits type right. series from you know just set in the '80s, and now that you've had this you know, span of time to sort of step away from it. Right. I think I think it'd have that same level of enjoyment people have when they watch Twilight Zone and go, Oh look, young Robert Redford. Right, you know? yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Look, you know, like that that kind of thing. And so Yeah, like me Marvin, look at that. Yeah, yeah. I think, Charles I think Bronson's a robot. Like you know, yeah. Great, you know, Cliff Robertson, you know, yeah, yeah, all right, this kind exactly. of stuff, you know. So I think it's 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 equally you know, it, it's kind of the same thing but just displaced, you know, thirty yeah. years. You know, so yeah, um, and it made money. It made it. It was a modest hit. It was like budgeted at like three and a half million. It made yeah, like sixteen. I mean, yeah, so yeah, yeah. It yeah. Made I mean, a little it, bit of money. It, I mean, by the model, I mean it. It, it turned a profit. Yeah, it quadrupled its, its. Yeah, I mean, geez, yeah, it made five times its. But yeah, you know, so. I'd like to make five yeah. times whatever I put into something. So, but uh, and apparently they had talked about doing a second one, but they never did. And the other thing I read about this is that, and and Wikipedia. Dismisses this, but I've seen other articles that quote it. So yeah, your, your mileage may about, vary. Well, it's weird how that because you're talking about the whole. This was Savini, to be right? Three, right. right. So, Tom Savini calls this movie Creepshow Three because he says it's all the same crew mm-hmm. that was going to work on Creepshow Three, but because Warner Brothers owns Creepshow, yeah, they, there was they, some weird they, they thing with the rights, and so the names yeah, and all that yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. So you know, okay, you know, it's good, it's good enough for Tom it, Savini. I, I'll tell you what, Tales from the Dark Side is. Uh, you know, light years ahead of the actual Creep Show Three. I've, I've never I've, even I've, seen I've, I've that. Said, I've said that before on your show. Nobody watched. <laughs> Derek's Don't leaning into it. the phone here. He's Don't looking at the phone very intently. Don't do it. <laughs> it's that bad, huh? Yeah, it's terrible. Okay, all right. It's, it's absolutely atrocious. All right. So, yeah, I knew what I saw that wasn't even made by anybody of the original. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I was, I was lured by the. False pretenses of a brand name. There you go. That's you know, it. I, and I it works. I won't. You, I, you know, it's like I, I try to avoid that now, but you know, sometimes they get me. So. All right, there you go. So yeah, this this was good. I enjoyed this quite a bit. Yeah. I really did. It was a fun little movie, uh, and I like horror anthologies. Yeah, you know, I just generally like them yeah. just because it's like even if the story you don't like all that much, you're like, well, this has got what twenty minutes left to it. Yeah, tops. There's, there's, there's a know? number of stories. Yeah. So in a, in a collective, right? Like, I guess you have some more options to, you know, you, you can have peaks and highs yeah. and, and, and kind of go along with yeah. it. Yeah. Even if this is not thrilling me, this is going to move on to the next thing. Yeah. And it'll be something yeah, yeah. else. And I really did like The Lover's Vat. Any movie now that can just get me, have, give me that moment of like, oh! Of, uh, you know, uh, like, kind of shock. Yeah, that's a, you didn't see coming. That's it's a always, very yeah, easy comics. Yeah. Like, okay, cool, I dug it. So, alright, <laughs> that is Tales from the Crypt movie. You can get it on Amazon. 
You can rent it on Amazon. It yeah, used to I, be I, on Netflix. It comes and goes on yeah, Netflix. It comes it's and very goes. strange. I, I have it on DVD. You have it so, on DVD. So you can, okay. I, I'm pretty sure you can get it on Blu-ray too. All right. Yeah, it's why it's it's available. It was a you know it was kind of a thing. So uh, that's going to do it for this live from not again not live <laughs> but you know in, in person in person in person episode of the Film and Water podcast from Charlotte, North Carolina, right in the middle of Heroes Con. Uh, Derek, where can people find you on the internet? If people want to check out podcasts, they can go to uh, fanholesepodcast.blogspot.com. If you like watching videos on comic book adaptations to film, you can go to hocof.blogspot.com. It's short for History of Comics on Film. Very cool. And, of course, all our shows are on our network site, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com. And you can find the show on Twitter, which is at filmandwaterpod. So, Derek, thank you so much for doing this live. I can't keep calling it live for lack of a better term. Thanks so much for... Doing this. This is awesome getting out to, to do a podcast in person. Yeah, this, this is, is awesome. Great. Thank you so, for having me. All right, man. So thanks everybody for listening, and until next week, that's a wrap. When I was a little girl, this was my favorite book. Which one was your favorite story? What difference does it make? Let me out of here. Help! It's been so long I almost can't remember them. Help! Let me out! What are you doing? Just preheating the 350. Help! Help! There's a crazy woman in there! She's gonna cook me! She's gonna eat me! Help! I never Help! could do the division. Let's see, how many times is 12 going to 75? Oh, six times, three left over. Why? Well, 12 minutes a pound. That means you have to be in the oven by no later than 1.30. Oh, but evisceration takes at least an hour. Evisceration? What does that mean? It's like gutting a fish. First you make a long slit, then you take out everything that isn't meat. You know, the heart, the lungs, the intestines, and so forth. Then you fill it all back up with stuffing, sew it back together with one of these. Maybe I should get started now. No, wait. There's plenty of time. You said this is your favorite book. Don't you want to hear a story?